Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne. And today we have a special program just for you. It's a special on high reliability organizations, and it's even more special as I don't do any of the talking in it, which is quite amazing. Uh, your host today will be Nicola McPhail. Nicola McPhail, uh, former airline pilot, former chief financial officer, and now emerging aviation project manager for Hover UAV, is going to be talking to some of the smartest people in safety, Drew Ray and Nectarius Karanicus. That's enough talking for me. Take it away, Nicola. Media articles about high reliability organisations tend to describe them as organisational cultures that aim for flawless performance and safety in every operation, even in complex, risky or dangerous environments. A high reliability organisation, or HRO, is characterized by its consistent and dependable systems, which effectively support operations while proactively identifying and rectifying potentially disastrous errors before they occur. We need to consider how high reliability developed in order to understand what it is. In 1984, Charles Perrow, a sociologist from Yale University, published a book called Normal Accidents Living with High-Risk Technologies, in the book, he presents the argument that our society's intricate and tightly interconnected systems contain multiple failures that are unpredictable. According to Perrault, accidents are unavoidable and can't be completely prevented through design. The inspiration for Perrault's book stemmed from the partial meltdown of a reactor at Three Mile Island in 1979. This incident one of the worst in U.S. commercial power plant history, occurred due to an unforeseen interaction of multiple failures within a complex system. 
Pero asserts that society's complex and tightly coupled systems inherently incorporate multiple unexpected failures, rendering accidents inevitable and immune to design-based solutions. He concluded that the failure at Three Mile Island was a direct consequence of the immense complexity of the system. Pero recognised that high-risk systems, regardless of effective management, are susceptible to failures and coined the term normal accident to describe the inevitable occurrence of such accidents. In response to normal accident theory, a group of researchers from the University of California, Berkeley, proposed the concept of high-reliability organisations, highlighting that certain complex organisations operating hazardous technologies can successfully operate without catastrophic errors. These organisations, exemplified by US naval aircraft carriers, operate under immense pressure, yet effectively avoid disastrous outcomes. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss high-reliability organisations with Nectarius Karanikas of QUT and Drew Ray from Griffith University. I started out by asking Drew what it means to be a high-reliability organisation. There is no clear, simple definition of what an HRO is. There, there never has been. It's something that we do to students at university is we say, write down the attributes of an HRO because it's a trick question. You pick any one paper, it gives its own list. And you pick a different paper and it gives a totally different list. Right. Even papers written by these original authors. So really, it's not a unified, clear theory. It's an idea, it's a general idea that some organisations have attributes that lend themselves towards safety in the face of complexity. Right, gotcha. And there are some ongoing themes about what those attributes might be, and those change over time as different people reinterpret the theory and re-understand it. So, like, as an example, one of the original things in the very first paper is they said the strict military hierarchy is a key contributor. Another thing they said was the cadre of experienced chief petty officers. Now, if you're running a mining organisation today, neither of those things is going to help you. No, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But there there are some other things that have been a bit more enduring, such as the sensitivity to frontline operations and the deference to technical expertise rather than management hierarchy. So what what, sort of resonate with people and sort of still hang around. What what does that mean? That sensitivity to operations for 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 a high reliability organisation? If we if we look at a mine, so it means the same thing that's been reinterpreted as safety too, or focusing on work as done rather than work as imagined, or any one of a sort of number of ideas since, right. which is that really looking at the gritty reality of work and understanding what work is like for the people who experience that work rather than focusing on safety management systems. Right, right, gotcha. Nectarius, would you you agree with, with where we are in the conversation or would you like to add anything to what Drew said? Yes, in principle, I agree. I think that HRO was never promoted as a theory. It just a set of properties, characteristics that the, the original authors found in those organizations. There is nothing suggesting that you need to have those to become HRO or all HROs have those properties. So it's not a theory of safety. Right. It's an organizational management, let's say a book 
saying how those organizations, those types of organizations manage to have very good outcomes, you know, catastrophic outcomes. Now, I think sometimes we compare apples and oranges. So trying to transfer those characteristics or to find them or to develop them in other sectors or other organizations can be misleading. I was approached a few months ago, to give you an example, the analog by a construction company. And they say, hello, Nectaris, well, hello, we want to become a HRO. Oh, nice. What makes you think you're not a HRO? Right. Say, you know, we, we still have some serious injuries and, you know, and problems, say, that is not what HRO says about. So the analog, just to, to be more clear, the HSRO theory is about the system operation outcomes. So we're talking about, for example, a traffic control. A catastrophe is to, to lose the minimum separation between aircraft and have a collision with uh, consequences for occupationally for workers, but also passengers. So we're talking about public safety. Sure. A nuclear power plant, we're talking here about an explosion or a leakage that will have consequences for both public safety and workers. So HRO was not about occupational health and safety. Right. It was gotcha. about service, it was operational safety. Now, if we go to construction and you ask this company, how many buildings do you have collapsed every year? Say none. You, you are a HRO. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's yeah. no there's no requirement. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we must be careful. The the theory of HRO doesn't say in order to reach the level of high reliability of operations, how many people suffer for musculoskeletal disorders or stress or fatigue or how many injury claims or whatever metrics you wanted to, to do there, those organizations had. They never looked at that. Right. They looked at the operational outcome and production. Sure. So, um, yeah. So, yes, please, Drew. Yes. So, so there are a couple of important points that Nectario is making that I agree with absolutely. The, the first one is the fact that this not only was never a theory, it was never intended to be a prescriptive guide. It was never in order to be an HRO, you should do this. It was more offered as a like counterproof. There do exist HROs. Right. And, and then the second point is that it really was about severe accidents. You know, I wasn't joking when I said they're an HRO because they'd never lost an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Your, your aircraft carrier flight operations lose a couple of planes every year. <laughs> but sure, they still yeah. considered it to be a high reliability organization because nothing worse than that was happening. <laughs> and in something that complex, someone like Charles Perrault would have predicted that actually something worse would have happened. Yeah. So it's really a very weird example for other organizations to try to model themselves after. Yeah. Right. You, I picked out a couple of the things that you that I think do resonate and are useful for other organizations, this idea of sensitivity to the front line and deference to expertise. But there are lots of other things in the theory, in the, sorry, I won't even call it a theory because Nectarius <laughs> is right. And, and the authors were very insistent on this. They were insistent themselves. They were not presenting a theory. They, they've said this themselves. Some of the other attributes they drew were, for example, the long workup time the aircraft carrier has. For your aircraft carrier is expected to be operational. It goes for a lot of time gradually building up operations. 
they talked about the really high degree of technical and operational redundancy that the military can have that civilian organizations can't have. Right. So, you know, you, you can pick and choose some things that do translate, but a lot of these attributes that they were talking about, no civilian organization would be able or would want to try to emulate. They were just simply features of the organizations that the theorists were describing. So I just want to pick up there when you're talking about operational build-up, operational tempo versus safety. From from what I can, well, from what I've read, these pe- people often talk about HROs and and we've talked a bit about how the how the fact that it's not a theory, but how HROs are able to balance operational tempos and needs with safety. But from what you're saying, that seems to be very much context-driven. It is, it is, yeah. Just to, to extend to what Drew said there. Now, you see, we saw in a, in a recent scoping review that HRO has been applied in healthcare quite widely, and we're not the first to publish that. So right. how come, and we're talking about a system heavily relying on humans, not that much technology, and we're talking about patient safety. If you see, I mean, the cases that we have, we're talking about usually, you know, problems with the surgeon, you know, any specialist, misdiagnosis or, or whatever. So we're not talking about those robust systems with redundancy, with technical, you know, systems at the background that will con- contain sometimes the human performance variability, any problems out there. We're talking about systems mainly human driven. So how can we transfer this paradigm and to to expect all those characteristics in completely different contexts? It's not wise even to think that those would be, you know, embedded the same way or found the same way. And going to the productivity, safety, you name it. I think it's a false dichotomy we make. It's not productivity via safety. Productivity, first of all, is an objective. Sure. Safety, if we if we want to be, how to say, a bit frank and honest, it's not an objective. It's an obligation. It's something. It's not a choice. You mean to to, you know, to keep Drew on Ectarius and Nicholas safe. It's something we should do. So sure. it's about safe production. We can say that or producing safely. We can say that in HROs didn't have, when we saw reliable outcomes, we're talking about the whole spectrum of outcomes. It wasn't about safety. If you if you have a nuclear power plant, let's say accident, productivity stops. Electricity power generation stops. Safety, yeah. of course, suffers. Security is not there. So it's not only about safety. Yeah, absolutely, and and I and I feel like that we're we're kind of circling back to to the things that Pero was talking about that Drew raised earlier. It feels like we're on that this treadmill where we, there's a lot of effort expended, but that that maybe these ideas are all the same. Like safety too, is is about being effectively producing whatever it is you produce, but safely, and that that they all kind of mean the same thing, just with a different label. Or is that too simplistic? Um, Nicola, I, I don't think that it's fair to go quite that far. 
Okay, but but I think it is important to make a distinction between debates which are important and interesting for moving the academic field of safety along and what is useful and practical for real organisations to take from that. Right. You, whenever things go wrong in our organisations or, or seem to be going wrong in a particular industry over a couple of years, then there's a temptation to say, okay, what is this big solution that's offered? What's the next move that we can make? What's the next big theory that we can use? Right. And for the most part, that's not what these ideas were created for, and they're not really ready for that purpose. Right. Um, now, I don't want to deny that. I mean, there, there are some safety academics, and I'll happily not put Nectarius or myself in this boat. <laughs> you sort of want to, want to operate on that sort of boundary of academia and consultancy, yeah. where they're not just producing academic ideas, they're trying to evangelize those ideas to industry. But I don't think that's necessarily particularly healthy. And sure. it's not really healthy to do it in reverse, to ask academics to be that golden bullet or to be that solution. Right. Gotcha. Uh, you, what, what theories can do is they can look at big picture patterns, they can look at trends, they can offer ideas, but they can't offer neat packaged solutions. Sure. So, you know, I would recommend that any safety practitioner should read the HRO papers. They should read the descriptions. They should understand what the claims were made about why these aircraft carriers were successful. But then they should sort of stop and think, okay, which parts of this fit my organization and which ones are totally irrelevant? So on that, um, yeah, sorry, carry sorry. on. No, I think you're about to ask the right question. So go ahead. <laughs> so if we if we if we look at this idea of context-driven performance and, and safe operational production and things like that, and drawing on the idea of of healthcare, you touched on this idea that suddenly there's a problem somewhere and the industry will turn to academia for the next big theory. We've seen a lot of that, particularly in academic research and medical journals around high reliability in healthcare and looking at preventable hospital deaths. I know there's, there's some controversy about the stats around just quite how many preventable hospital deaths there really are. But this this idea that I think the main idea is that you look at your problem areas, you define processes and procedures to resolve those problems so that you prevent future deaths. Is this, and it's all done under the banner of high reliability. So is this kind of what we're talking about before where, where we're taking that big bang idea from academia and labeling it into industry? Uh, well, so yeah, <laughs> I think we've both got some comments to make on this. Our main comments. Yeah, I, I fully agree with Drew, and it's our fault, academics. I put myself inside. Doesn't matter if I'm not promoting specific or subscribing to specific theories. That we transfer the academic debate to the industry. That's a huge mistake of us as academia. We haven't even defined what safety is between us. We haven't agreed. And we transfer the debate what safety is, you know, in out, outside in the field. We confuse people. Anyway, so I will leave this aside. Now, the problem is that we cannot understand that a bad outcome, it's not a bad safety outcome, it's bad system outcome from right. the lenses of safety. So when you have an accident, it's not safety performance, it's your system performance that did not achieve whatever, you know, 
mission, whatever, let's say, criteria you have defined as successful operations. Safety cannot perform. Right. You know, systems perform. Safety yeah. cannot perform. Security cannot perform. All those <laughs> constructs cannot perform. So right. the problem is instead of looking at when we want to talk about safety, how to minimize the risks, because this is everything about if Drew wants to, you know, to introduce a new theory or a new principle or a new way of things, the question is always, Drew, can you show me how directly or indirectly this will minimize risk? And we don't ask this simple question. Right. Whether it's engineering, whether it's psychology, yes, whether it is organizational management, whether it is a procedure, as you said before, how does this procedure minimize the risk, for example? And we're missing this important point, I think. Yeah, that's actually something I see a lot in aviation. But before we move away, Drew, did you want to add in something on this point? Sure. There are really, to my understanding, two main industries that have relatively recently decided that HRO might be the next big solution. And those are healthcare and mining. Right. And that they've done it for quite different reasons. Healthcare has a very, very highly educated workforce. So practitioners in healthcare are all experts in some sense. You, you have doctors, you have nurses, almost everyone in a hospital, except the cleaners, and even then I'm not sure, have got university degrees and very, very structured training right. programs beyond their initial study to keep their qualifications up to date. Right. And most theories and knowledges and practices in safety are not remotely equipped to deal with that level of expertise. It's embarrassing how uninformed and how underdeveloped safety is compared to the way medicine thinks about itself and manages itself and manages its own knowledge. And so for healthcare, I think HRO has sort of taken on the badge of being an alternative to these very top-down prescriptive approaches to safety. Yeah. They're not really doing anything that remotely resembles HRO. They're trying to be more sensitive to their workforce's expertise and a little bit less top-down directive in their management of safety. And they're just calling it HRO. Yeah, right. I agree with you Sorry. because yeah, the, the last scopic review we did, we found hundreds of studies in healthcare, but they were mostly HRO-inspired than HRO-implementation studies. Right, right. So they, they cherry pick, you know, <laughs> a few things from here, from there, and they try to make a mix there of things to implement and see how it goes. And only three studies actually, at least we found only three studies published, I don't know what's happening outside with consultancies or whatever, where we had implementation of HRO as a unified set of those five principles. And right. when you see those three cases, equivocal approaches and, and results. So how do we measure success or results before and after getting back to the old good things, lagging indicators, you know, how many people died or uh, safety mm -hmm. culture, whereas HRO never said anything about safety culture. They, they have this mindful 
you know, scale, mindful organizational scale. They didn't say that much about culture. So arbitrary bit connections between what we did with HRO and what expectations we have from HRO. Not even comparable. Yeah. So, so that, 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 that's, that's healthcare. Mining, we have the exact opposite happening. We have very, very large, sophisticated multinational companies and government and regulators trying very hard to stay relevant to try to make any sort of contribution to safety. And so we have the idea of HRO being used almost as a regulatory philosophy from the top down. Right. Being used as a way of saying this is how government and the regulator wants to impose more stricter ways of managing safety, uh, which also is a philosophy just like totally unrecognizable to HRO doing things from that direction. Yeah. And, yeah. and the response is that mining companies are doing exactly what they've always been doing. They're just putting a new label on it to match the labels that we tend to. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Use within HROs. Right. So there's something very interesting going on with this label of HRO, but it would be a mistake to try to understand, you know, what an HRO is or what HRO theory says as a way of explaining what's going on in either of those industries, because it's the use of this label and this language to explain quite different movements in safety. Okay, gotcha. So so that that characteristic of safety as, as being not measurable and not it's not production for example it, it's it's the quality of how the production is achieved like and nectarius you can correct me if i'm wrong so what i understand from this is that you you go in for a for surgery and the surgeon nicks your artery and you have a bad outcome so we would say that was unsafe owing to the quality of the production rather than there needed to be a system separate from the actual work that would prevent that in the first place. Yeah, yeah, more or less, but I will explain a bit further. So when I'm running the course in our university about health and safety management and also some workshops with the industry, I always ask, first of all, what safety is? What do you think is? So you receive answers that say safety is a process, an activity, an outcome, a property, a state, which actually aligns very nicely with what different academic schools say. And they say, okay, guys, it cannot be all those together. We must sure. think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it cannot be everything. So, and then after discussions, we agree that 
Safety actually is the knowledge or beliefs that we have about the ways, the mechanisms, the paths through which we can minimize or stop the risks. That's safety about. So now, if you implement those, the knowledge you have, then you do safety. The way you will implement the mechanism can be safely or whatever. So the very simplified version of definition of safety. Now, in, in the question is, and they say we have systems in place. Ha ha, okay, what system do you have in place? We have processes, we have procedures, we have policies. Say, those are not systems, they're just policies. Those sure. procedures. Say, no, this is our system. So not dear, this is not your system. You are the system. Those are just vehicles to facilitate the system. Those are ways to enable the system or just in an ag agreeable way to do the job. You don't exist as a system to serve the procedure. The procedure exists to serve the system. Ah, and yes. everyone thinks that we have a, a safety management system. And when you ask them, what do you mean? It's just 200 pages of swims, of procedures, of templates, of performance, of policies, and so on. So I think we have, I don't know, lost our way. Somehow we're not talking about the same thing. We think we talk about the same thing. Drew and Nectarius talk about safety in the different safety in, in different yeah. ways. And we think that we talk about safety. Each one of us talks about a different thing. Sure. So just going back to what you were saying about processes in the system. So you said it really beautifully, but I, I can't remember your exact wording, but somehow the, the, the reason why processes exist. And it made me think about an old flying instructor of mine who used to wag his finger and say, the rules of aviation are written in blood. And I suppose those procedures, for example, if you have an engine failure on takeoff, you never turn back to the runway because you cannot make it. The physics of it just don't allow for you to land safely. It's better to land ahead. So that's the cumulative knowledge of things going wrong is now proceduralized for the next generation. Mm -hmm. is, is that a, a sort of good understanding of what you mean? Yes. So procedures assume a context, assume conditions, assume. So you cannot just transfer procedures from one context to another. Sure. I'm going back to the construction company. They have swims for those 14 high risk activities foreseen in the regulations. And they, have, and they, cop they print out, copy paste all swims across all project sites. Yes. Well, that's not the intent. Swims <laughs> must be developed together with Drew and Nicola, who work at the specific site in the specific high risk activity to take into account the conditions. So yes, we have knowledge that is like universally applied. You know, if the aircraft lands back with all the fuel that took off with, it will probably crash. Right. Yes, we have this. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I take you both back to a slightly different point in safety history? Yes. So be, before organizations were using HRO as the latest golden solution, we had industries like healthcare and construction looking explicitly to aviation. Mm -hmm. And we had this, we had this series of 
articles that were written, not academic articles, they're appearing in your practitioner journals and places like that, arguing about, like, look at the really high rate of errors we've got in healthcare. Look at the really high rate of fatalities we've got in construction. Look at how good aviation is. If only we could be more like aviation. Yeah. And yeah, you're referring to Atul Gawande here. It is checklist oh, manifesto. It, it's more than one person. I don't. Right. I'm not going to blame any one person. It was. <laughs> it was a whole. It was a whole movement. Right. Yeah. Sure. And they looked at aviation, and for some reason, what they saw was aviation's got these really complicated, documented safety management systems. That must be why they're so successful. That's what we've got to copy. <laughs> yes. And they they overlooked the fact that you most of the big advances in aviation safety have been entirely technical. Sure. You can yeah. look at the graphs of accidents and you can you can almost like point at the graph and say, that's when we moved to gas turbine jet engines. <laughs> sure. And, yes, and that's when we implemented <laughs> yes. ground collision avoidance systems. Yes. And after aviation had done all of this learning by blood and <laughs> solutions by engineering, then to try to get that last little bit of safety, they started trying to document and proceduralize everything. Right. And it did nothing <laughs> because they were already basically as safe as you could get. <laughs> Absolutely. And everyone looks at what aviation was doing and said, okay, it must be that last little bit. And so yeah. we've tried to have this learning from, and, and this is why I think it's an important link to HRO because it's the same thing. It's pointing and saying, oh, they're very safe over there. What are they doing that we can copy? Yeah. And grabbing the first thing that comes to mind or the easiest thing to copy instead of grabbing the thing that is most applicable and most useful to your own situation. Right. You, you Maybe we can look at aviation and say they use checklists. Maybe we've got some similar things where checklists might actually be useful and helpful. But not because aviation uses them but because we've got a problem for which checklists are a good solution. Yes. You, maybe we've got a problem in our organization and we can look at what the military does and what they're doing on aircraft carriers, but not because that's what they did on aircraft carriers in 1987, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but because there's actually an important lesson to learn for us. Yeah. And yeah. If, I, if I was looking at what they wrote in those original HRO papers and saying like, what is the biggest lesson here? I would say the most relevant today is workforce management. Right. One of the big things that Laporte and Rockland were saying in their very first paper was they were trying to say, okay, the military's got this apparently transient workforce. People come in, people come out. They're all young blokes. They're all risk takers. How do we manage to manage that population? And it's like, how do organizations create stability in the face of a changing workforce? And that's a real problem that a lot of organizations have today. Right. We have a changing structure in our workforce, lots of contingent work, lots of contract work. What can we put into our organizations that can create some workforce stability? Yes. And that's a problem that the military had solutions to that maybe we could look at and look at which ones you might work for us today. Drew, may I add two things nicely to yours? That many of the principles approaches ideas whatever you, we name that we're in the era of not the flat structures we have today the hybrid organizations we talk about now now not hierarchical pyramid style the gig economy 
subcontractors and the like. So we're not sure now if they are really relevant to the world as it is today. Now, going back to the procedures thing and copy paste from one context to another. Well, if you, because I'm an aviation person, this standardization we have, it doesn't have to do that much between human to human, unless it is in critical, safety critical phases. It's about human technology. This is where it's very much regulated, whether you have to inspect, to maintain, to replace A, B, you know, to, to push the switch in this knob, in this phase. So it's more about peak technology, which is not a problem in healthcare. When, when it comes to military operations, when the pilots fly and they follow those procedures for takeoff, but it's again human machine interaction, then the way they will fight, they will train to fight, it's not prescribed. Right. Um, it is the operational theater, the, 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 the equivalent of operational theater in healthcare is not prescribed. There's nothing prescribed in aviation. In military aviation, the you know the aircraft carriers that would say to the pilots how exactly they will react to the situation. So they they learn through uh, trial and error and giving feedback, you know, and experience and briefings and debriefings and so on. Nectaris, I'm going to disagree with your example in order to agree with your overall point. Yep. Which is th there are situations in healthcare where standardization really is important for that human technology interaction. Yep. There are a whole class of common errors that get involved with, in things like medication prescription and some awful accidents involving connecting the wrong type of gas to the wrong type of patient, things like that. Yeah, but that's where I technology. Think they, is that technology? Uh, uh, yeah, where, where, the prob where aviation style solutions about standardizing technology so that humans don't make those sorts of mistakes work really, really well. It's a good example of where you can look at a specific thing that is done well in aviation, where the same problem is faced in healthcare, and copy that solution across. But then you've got all of these other situations where you're right, there's just like no comparison in the type of operations, or there's a misunderstanding about how aviation actually does things, misunderstanding that aviation doesn't actually prescribe as much as you might think, only in certain areas, and sort of trying to, so you're not only trying to cut and paste, you're trying to cut and paste a misunderstanding. Yes, that's how it works. We talked earlier about mining using high reliability to rebrand its safety efforts. Does performance-related safety fit into this idea? Is performance-based safety an improvement over safety by compliance? In theory, yes, because it's not a prescription-based safety, but we have misunderstood once more what we mean by performance-based safety. So most of the companies have started, I mean, not now, I mean, they, they measure all those indicators about sorry, accidents, injuries, claims, lost time, and so on. Whereas if you see any act, any regulation, doesn't refer to any of those. Right. So the performance criterion, once more for the act and the regulation, is demonstrate how you have identified and minimized risks relevant to your operations. The act doesn't say you will have zero accidents. Sure. The regulator, I mean, the, the legislator, sorry, doesn't, it's not a thing illusional that you will not have any injury. 
ask from you to demonstrate that relative to your capacity, to the resources, to the opportunities that you had, that you managed the risk, actually minimize the risk appropriately. This is the performance that the regulation expects from all companies. Right. So this is where I think Nectarius and I might actually have a bit of a disagreement. So I just wanted to sort of tentatively push my own opinion and then get Nectarius' sure. reaction in case we're just violently agreeing. Re regulators are on very safe ground when they punish and prosecute. Because if you've killed someone, then almost by definition, there is some duty you have for safety that you have failed to meet. You, we can argue about exactly what that is or how inevitable it is, but it's you're very easy to argue that there's been a shortfall in how you're managing safety when there has been a bad outcome. What everyone would like is a way to regulate in advance to manage safety, not in that sort of reactive way. But the trouble is that whenever you try to do that, you require the regulator to be more sophisticated than the organizations they're trying to regulate. You, you're trying to get the, the regulator to second guess the organization's decisions about how they're managing safety. Gotcha. And to either say, you know, those decisions are good decisions or those decisions are bad decisions or those practices yeah. are good decisions. Those, and, and that's what I think we're seeing with HRO is we're seeing a move by le legislators and regulators to try to get in front of an industry that they're well behind yes. and trying to get in front using theories from 1987. <laughs> yes. This is not going to help the situation. Yeah. Um, actually, we yeah, agree. No. We, we don't disagree, but you are referring to the enforcement. I'm not referring to the enforcement. I'm, I'm referring to the intent of the regulation in the act. Now, the enforcement, the prosecution is a different thing. And we know from law, I mean, science and disciplines, that a prosecutor or a regulator, if there's no prosecutor, will charge a company when we have two criteria satisfied. One, that it will probably lead to a conviction. And second, that is probably of public interest. Right. Otherwise, we will have hundreds of trials every day about the effect safety. I mean, injuries happen all around Australia every day. So I agree with you that the way we enforce uh, or monitor or you know whatever verb you want to use there about the regulation and the act, it is problematic. And this is the, the tendency did that we need the regulators to be, you know, to look smarter than than you know the companies. But going back to what companies would do regardless of getting charged for something or not, I mean from a more proactive perspective, this is what the regulation asks to minimize the risks. Now, whatever tool Drew develops, whatever theory Nicola Nicola publishes, it's great as long as we can have some evidence that directly or indirectly helps organizations to minimize the risk. Otherwise, we don't meet this performance-based regulation. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair point. That should definitely be in the back of people's minds. And it harks back to the, your earlier point about what risks are we mitigating here and, and how are we driving this operationally? I'd like to wrap it up there, but is there any last comments you would like to make? Okay, so the one final thing that I'd like to say is ultimately when you're judging safety, either across an industry or for your own organization, there really only are a few things that matter. And it's not high-level principles like, are you embracing safety differently or are you a high-reliability organization? It's, it's, are you providing a physically safe environment for your people? Are you using people who are trained and competent and expert in the work they're doing? Do you have a social environment in the workplace that lets people support each other? And are you giving people the right tools for the job? Right. And if you look at the legislation, that's what it says you've got to have. And that should be the bottom line that we're using to judge people, not on allegiance or abiding by any sort of grand theories or cute labels, but on those your practical, clear things about what promotes safety for the people who are working. Perfect, thank you. No, 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 I, I would like to, to thank you both, especially Drew for the examples, which Kida said, I'm happy that reiterates how safety can be defined. It's applying those, you know, this knowledge we have about how to minimize risk because all the examples that you gave Drew you know, uh, are meant to be there to minimize the risk. And uh, it's worth listening to whoever has to say something. We respect all opinions, all principles, all theories to be, or whatever they are, we should not reject. Let's read, let's understand the context as nicely Drew said, what was this about? How did this emerge? And then see once more how and whether we can try out a few things once more with the direction that Drew said, how we can help organizations become safer and not become trendy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nicola. Pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.